This week's podcast is brought to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the Center for Congregational Health and to find the help you need in order to thrive in mission and ministry. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. This week's podcast, we're going to take a little bit different tone around the topic of church starting. You know, often we are talking about various aspects of the nitty-gritty details of church starting, such as developing a core group, discerning a vision, understanding your context. However, this week, we're going to take a step back and look at what church starting looks like five, six, seven years into the process. We'll be sharing with you two stories, that of Susan Rogers, the pastor of The Well at Springfield in Jacksonville, Florida, along with Nathan and Carrie Dean, the pastors of Edgewood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. But before we share their stories, we want to tell you about several new and exciting episodes you can expect here in the next couple of weeks, including Sarah Bessie, the author of Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts. We sat down with the Canadian author to talk about the stories that she's heard as a result of her amazing work. You can expect an upcoming edition with Melissa Rogers, who served on President Obama's Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, along with part three of our conversation on the most common mistakes of church starts. Now on to our two stories, beginning with Susan Rogers, pastor of The Well at Springfield in Jacksonville, Florida. (laughs) It's a a terrible fear to have. You know, and this is going to be such a brilliant conversation. It would be absolutely terrible. I mean, the worst thing in the world that could happen is that you never get every word of this. Yeah, every every word that Susan Rogers has to say. Yes, definitely. That, that might be the best way to introduce you. Uh, so our, our guest today, Susan Rogers, who is the pastor of The Well at Springfield in Jacksonville, Florida, my parents' hometown. And uh, we want to have a conversation about um, where things have gone since 2009. Uh, we were just talking about that you sensed a call in the fall of 2009. You really fully stepped into that call by relocating uh, in the summer of 2010, and then in February of 2011, y'all begin to, to gather together on a weekly basis. So, so talk to us about that call. What, what was it like in, in 2009 since this call to church starting? Yeah, I mean, it really was a completely unexpected sense of calling um, on so many levels. Um, for one thing, I never anticipated or expected that I would sense any calling into church starting. It was never on my radar. Um, Certainly growing up in a little bit more of a conservative tradition, I had only seen men pastor, but especially church starting was something that was definitely reserved for 
males and people who were really good entrepreneurs. That was all I had ever envisioned. So this took me by surprise. Um, but looking back, it makes so much sense when I think about sort of what initially made me feel called into ministry. But it really was a collision of a lot of different things. Um, my own sense of calling, my own sense of wanting to be a part of reimagining the church, and also um, what was going on in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Florida at the time, which was they were beginning to think about, explore, and receive funding to start new CBF churches in Florida. And so when we started having that conversation, initially I was, you know, no way, this is definitely not where I see myself. And I kind of just initially rejected the idea altogether. But the further we got um, into me deciding what was next, this just kept coming to the surface. Um, And certainly the idea of it being back in our hometown made it seem a lot more feasible, um, a place where we have support, where we have connections, and where we could start to envision, yes, they're in, and when I say we, obviously I'm talking about my husband because this is a family commitment. It was not just something that Susan felt called to. We had to definitely um, make this decision and this move together. Um, I'm just kind of surprised. Are you trying to say that a, a patriarchal church society prevented you from thinking of yourself as a church starter from the onslaught? That, that would be a first in any type of calling. <laughs> I know, right? No, I really think that I never put it in those terms, but absolutely. Yeah, I didn't see myself there because there weren't a lot of models for it. Um, And I have to say that as I was, um, even to the point of we had said yes, but I was still having a lot of mental reservations about it. It wasn't until I went to a conference in Washington, D.C. with a lot of people who were doing um, innovative, out-of-the-box kinds of expressions of church And the first speaker who got up, who's now become a friend of mine, Kathy Escobar, got up and and said um, she was she started a refuge in Denver, Colorado, a missional faith community out there. And she stood up and said, hi, my name's Kathy. I'm a church planter. I have five children. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is a possible. And now I have all my excuses have just been blown out of the water. So it was a beautiful thing to finally encounter people or a person like me, my same gender and my same stage in life. who said, I'm doing this. And it really pushed me over the edge. Well, you know, this statement to be true. And so you don't need me to say it, but I can say, yeah, you have been called to this. Y'all have been doing beautiful, brilliant kingdom work under your leadership for the last, the last eight years. So let's talk about the last eight years. I want you to think back eight years ago when this process started, I guess eight years technically this fall, um, where did you imagine you would be eight years later? Well, I mean, initially when we go back eight years, we were, I was, I had moved back here. Actually, my husband was um, having to stay in Atlanta while he looked for a job here. And so um, I really had no idea. I'm just going to be honest. When we first started down this path, I envisioned a community, but wasn't exactly sure where in Jacksonville it would be, who would be part of it. So, I mean, that initial six months was really just getting my feet on the ground, exploring the community and trying to begin that visioning process. But, I mean, I would say that initially the vision was to be a neighborhood-centered church where instead of people driving far a far distance to be a part, it would be rooted in a neighborhood and that most of the people who were a part would be from that neighborhood. Um, I 
imagined us being more permanent in some kind of space. I never imagined it being a church building or something that would require tons of money and maintenance. But I did imagine us being in one place where we were maybe part of some kind of community collaborative with other um, partners together. And um, and I think also along with that, I imagine by now, you know, we're really, for, for our life together, we're like in between six and seven years. And I imagined us having a settled rhythm. Like we would have sort of settled into a very clear identity and we would have a rhythm of life together and there would be leaders that were, um, I think, fulfilling certain responsibilities and that, and that there would be just a settled kind of consistency um, in our church. Um, and, and of course, along with that, there are a lot of other things that I dreamed about that we would be doing that, um, that I feel like we are. We're very involved in social justice issues. Um, we are very involved in our community and um, we are having a lot of hard conversations that I felt like a lot of times I wasn't able to have in church. So I, I really appreciate that about our community. Well, I can imagine a uh, little, little known fact, Jacksonville, and you know this, is the largest city in the continental United States, at least uh, square foot, square mileage, I guess, not square footage. That's a lot to calculate. Anyways, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's hard to find a place to land and certainly Jacksonville, while it does have its uh, parts that are growing people from outside of Jacksonville, it certainly can be a, I guess, a conservative stronghold. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like to use labels, but it, be, it can become a very difficult place for a church uh, who does think outside the box um, to settle in, to find a place. Um, as you think back over these these last six to seven years gathering together, what's, what's changed for you along the way? You talked about where you thought you'd be eight years ago, um, you know, eight years from now, but what's changed for you in this process? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely I've changed and even my expectations for the church have changed. Um, One thing that's changed has been the makeup of the group. I mean, we we have lost people along the way and we've gained other people. And I think part of that is people come to a new church start. Anytime they come, they carry with them a lot of expectations. Some of them are, we're just expecting this to become like every other church that we've been a part of a church with a lot of programs, a church that has a building that's very consistent um, and a church that, you know, we can always count on to be there on Sunday mornings because that's what churches do. And so we've certainly broken a lot of those expectations by continuing to really just do what we feel is being faithful to our calling. And, and we, some of those things are not in place and that's not because um, we just, it, it, I guess it's not because we're just trying to be rebellious, but we really sense like these are not the things that we feel like are critical to being um, church together. So I think the group of the makeup of our group has changed a lot. Um, and I think we've gotten more clear about who we are and who we're not. And I would say for me, I, I definitely started down this path um, with some clear expectations and, so, and a vision. But along the way, you just start allowing people to, you start trying to please everyone. I think that's probably the best way. And I'm, and I'm like the ultimate pleaser. So I've had to really work on that and, and not allow other people to shift us into becoming something that really we that doesn't match the vision that we initially started out with. I mean, certainly our vision will shift and change, but 
but being true to being a church that doesn't have a lot of rigid boundaries, particularly about who's in and who's out, um, particularly about where we can be church together. I mean, not allowing that to be um, morphed and changed has been really important for us at this stage. Um, so, I mean, our, I think a lot has changed since we started out. One of the wonderful aspects of church starting, as as you've probably experienced, is that you get to try a lot of things, and sometimes mm, yeah. they succeed. I don't necessarily like using those terms. Sometimes they fail. I really don't like using that term. Um, but we we learn along the way. Um, so maybe share with us um, what you do differently, or, or maybe what was the most difficult lesson you've learned over these last six to seven years? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... A couple of things that stand out are one that um, I would trust myself more. I think a lot of times, and I I do think part of this comes from being a female in this role and um, maybe just needing to learn how to step out and lead and be more confident in my leadership. But a lot of times I've second guessed myself and sort sort of waited before I led us in a certain direction because I was like, well, I don't know if this is... Um, if this really is the right thing, or if I'm, you know, hearing this correctly. And a lot of times we would end up there anyway. And and I know that could be a good thing that others led us in that direction, but sometimes it just, we spend a lot of time sort of circling around something. And I feel like if I just said, Hey folks, this is what I'm sensing. Are you with me? And I think a lot of times I would have heard, yeah, this is exactly what we're thinking too, but I was hesitant um, to share those, those visions and those dreams. Um, And along with that, I mean, we really have from the beginning done a build it together kind of um, way of being church. And I think there are some things that I could have put into place before we ever got started that would have saved us some time and energy to invest in things that maybe mattered a little more. And I just believed so strongly, and I still do, that, you know, that it's got to be a collective vision that I, I sometimes put us through some pretty painful processes. Um, but I, I mean, I still think we've learned a lot from it, but there are a few things that I think I probably could have done that ahead of time and saved us all a little bit of heartache, headache. Um, but I mean, through it all, we've definitely learned a lot about each other and a lot about what it means to be church. And I think, you know, they've, they've been valuable lessons, but I could have done a little more ahead of time. Mm. There's like a thousand Mr. Miyagi sayings that can come to mind right now. But I mean, certainly, um, and I know in my own experience in church starting that, man, it's those times that you do fall flat on your face and things just don't go the way you you hoped that um, really refine you um, and help you step forward in a different way of approaching discernment. you know, and so it's led to, I'm sure for you, uh, some, some more beautiful stories. What, what, are, what are some of the greatest celebrations or the most beautiful stories that have come out of the last, the last few years? I mean, I think one of the, beautiful, one of the most beautiful, thing has been, uh, beautiful things has been watching relationships form. Um, a lot of times between people who might not normally relate to each other. Um, so watching that happen, watching people support one another through really difficult times, watching people be fully welcomed into community, no matter where they are in their faith journey, no matter what way they're different from other people in our um, family, like they really have been truly welcomed. And in a way that you can tell it is 
shifted something about them. They feel more loved. They feel more free to just be themselves. And also they feel like they finally have a place where they can be, become a better, um, where they can follow Christ in community, which I think I take that for granted. But so many people who've come our way, that really has not been their experience. Um, And I, I think one of the great, if we want to say success, um, this is how I would define it for me. Um, one of the greatest successes was hearing from someone who had lost their faith and who, ha- who has to this day would say, yeah, I've lost my faith, but I'm still choosing to be a part of this community because it's a place where I feel like even though I've lost my faith, I'm completely loved and accepted and affirmed. I mean, for people to hear a story of someone who says, I've lost my faith, and then to go, wow, you have a lot of courage to share that with us. And I'm really thankful that you're here and that you're a part, not because we're really hoping to convince you that one day, you know, you will believe that that is really a beautiful gift. And I feel like that's part of our calling is just to provide that safe and welcoming space without exception. Um, And that's, it's been a beautiful thing to witness, um, but also to be a part of creating. Mm. I would say that 99.9% of church starts have that phrase, you know, all are welcome or come as you are as part of their description, but it's not until you experience it, like you're sharing that um, you truly can be that community. I think we all strive to be that, but to experience that, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that gives you life as a, as a pastor. Um, yeah. That's yeah, it's funny because I guess you ask what what were some of the things that you know I would have envisioned originally, and I guess one of those was you know, we'd have a I don't know that I ever thought oh we're just going to have people lined up to be baptized, but you know I envisioned more baptisms, more people because of our um, community coming into relationship with Christ, and while that has happened, um, those moments of of sort of just feeling like you are completely accepted as you are, have been at least as powerful as moments of people are initially encountering or desiring to be in relationship with Christ or to acknowledge that publicly. I just, that is, has been unexpectedly beautiful. Um, And probably because I had never really experienced it before. Well, there still is time. You still can, you know, tell people their baptism is not legitimate unless they were baptized at your specific church and then that's boast right. about your baptism numbers. That I mean, that is an option. I hear that's common practice these days. I was thinking about doing that, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the last six to seven years gathering for worship, the last eight years of calling, um, what do you imagine the next seven to eight years look like for you, for the church? Well, we just had a series of community conversations at the beginning of this year that kind of helped us really articulate well our identity and what it is that we see ourselves becoming. And we honed in on a few things that I feel like, oh, this is really true about us. We really are a hub for people who are activists and who are um, doing important things in the community. We are really a community who's learning how to love each other. We really are a refuge for people who've been excluded and who have felt like um, they've been left out of church altogether or just left out in general. Um, So I really feel like over the next seven years, instead of saying that's going to look like X, Y, Z, I just feel like we're going to continue to try to become the best version of those things that we can be. And I, 
I'm sure that will make help us make some decisions. Um, and I, I do imagine that we will continue to sharpen and hone in on our rhythm of life together. And But I just honestly, I'm just so open to what that looks like, that it changes from year to year as to what I think it could be, should be. And part of that is because our group dynamics change so much. We are very fluid and we have people come in and out and we're shaped by whoever's with us um, during that period of time. So um, I, I hold somewhat loosely to whatever specifics um, are, are sort of identifying us because I know that that could change as our group changes. Um. Well, I mean, I guess if you want to take a, a Luke 4 perspective of Jesus, then you're being pretty Christ-like right now. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't very specific. He was just kind of like, this is what it's going to look like. Don't know what the day to day, and it's hard to explain. It's hard to it's hard to quantify that, but you know it when you're living it. And certainly, um, I see that in your story. We see it as part of the fellowship in your story. What, what's giving you the most life right now? I think it's always people. It's it's always um, seeing people. Um, step in and get excited about something that they feel like is, um, is feeding their souls and something that they feel like is helping them to contribute to God's kingdom work in the world. We have someone right now who um, went with us to our visit our CBF mission partner in Uganda, and we, got, we were so fortunate to get to lead the staff retreat for Refuge and Hope International last year. And he's already like, let's plan the next trip and I'm going to be Skyping with them and start working on, you know, just continuing that relationship. And it's just wonderful to watch that kind of enthusiasm um, build and to feel like, you know, oh, he's really found a connection in some, some way that he really wants to contribute and be a part of that, that work. Um, and, and, and again, just watching relationships form and having meaningful conversations with people. Um, and watching them use their gifts, um, not just in our community, but in our larger um, community. It, it's really exciting. Well, Susan, um, I'm grateful personally. Um, your story is one of the stories that inspired uh, me as I was sensing a call to church starting and certainly uh, learning from you over the last couple of years. Um, you're, you're a great friend. Uh, you're an excellent coach to our church starter, shameless plug. If you're looking for a church start coach, we have them. Susan is one of the best we have. Uh, so thank you for, for taking time out to share your story, not just today, but over the last couple of years. Thank you so much, Evie. Thanks for having me and for all the work that you do. Appreciate you. Before we get to our second story, I want to let you know about CBF Journal Assembly. Uh, We just had an amazing week in Atlanta as we gathered together all across the fellowship uh, to discuss our stories, to gather for worship, uh, to get into various workshops. And if you missed out on it, you can find all that information on cbf.net backslash generalassembly. You can find worship services, including Brian McLaren's speech, along with the commissioning of our new church starters, field personnel, and the endorsement of chaplains. That's cbf.net backslash generalassembly. Now on to our second story, Nathan and Carrie Dean, pastors of Edgewood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, if, if CBF was going to you know, develop a, a really rare edition of the Fellowship magazine and the, the title of the headline article would be CBF power couple. Uh, 
Nathan and Carrie Dean. I feel like y'all would be the the front cover of that. that and so fun. it is an honor. That is the saddest thing. <laughs> it's an honor to have y'all on, on the podcast, knowing that, you know, I'll, when that when that article gets printed, I'll be there with a Sharpie asking for an autograph. Wow. Yeah, that is so sad for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, y'all probably haven't uh, heard this enough from me, but y'all were a tremendous inspiration uh, for me uh, when I was sensing a call to church starting. Because if you recall your history, the the fall before y'all started, I came as a lowly associate pastor with a group of about 70 people to Atlanta. And part of my group worked with you that summer and and some of the partnerships you had developed in the neighborhood and Y'all were starting this church, and I had no idea that probably about three months from that point, the idea of church starting would be presented to me. And I had contact, I remember vividly to this day, contacting both of you to say, okay, tell me what in God's name this process looks like. And, you know, <laughs> what did you do when you were sensing this call? So it is an honor to have y'all because y'all have been such a, a tremendous inspiration for me and, um, and certainly for the church start narrative and also for cbf as a whole well that's that's a lot to take in well i'll I'll just say thank you thank you (laughs) well since this isn't a uh you know video podcast you know for those listening it really fully encompasses who they are because they're sitting behind this huge map of the world and i like to think of them as having a global impact yeah yeah so big so big (laughs) very strategic very strategic From our tiny corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's been um, it's been nine years for y'all in the process. Um, nine years since you sensed a call, um, and seven years this fall since you started living into that in the sense of how you gathered for worship. Right. So, so what were you thinking nine years ago when you were sensing this call to church starting? <laughs> um, we we had just worked in a church in a local church and and just started to realize how just hugely important this you know quiet little church could be in its neighborhood just if it was reaching out and involved in the community that that just the just the overtime benefits of having this church in a community and pointing people to God is huge. And we started to realize how that had impacted our lives growing up and our faith. And, um, and we, we, you know, drove through, we took a class, urban ministry class and drove through downtown and all these great ministries that are going on or, or nonprofits that are going on. And, and almost every one of them, one of their key support places that they drew support both financially and, volunteer based was local churches and and we were as we're driving around it's just sort of ironic because we're also watching church after church that's boarded up that's now a bar or something else and we're just watching this this beautiful witness dying and 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 watching what is what will eventually become of that um for all of these good works that are going on in the community in in atlanta that won't won't have a support base anymore um and and uh, we've always kind of not always Carrie kind of always since she grew up as a missionary kid, um, but for a long time I'll say with me felt a a call to 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 be a missionary. And um, as we were seeing churches dying, 
uh, in our urban environments and seeing how um, the demographics are shifting, where people are moving to the city and, and uh, that is kind of creating the, the world's fastest growing uh, mission field is urban America. And we're like, man, we, this is not what we had thought we where God was headed, was leading us, but, but, um, God's leading us to be missionaries to our own people, not, not Latin America or somewhere overseas, but to, to our own people. Um, uh, this place where, where churches are dying and people are, are moving to, um, and, uh, we, we still believe that God is, changing people's lives and is a real need in people's lives. And um, though it's a bad, a bad business model, we, it's a good kingdom model. And we feel God calling us to, to do that, to, despite the, the, the foolishness perhaps of it um, to, to get involved there. Hmm. Okay. So we're nine years removed from calling seven years removed from beginning this process of meeting for worship and discipleship. Where did you think you would be, nine years later, seven years later in this whole process. What, what, what did you imagine this looking like? Way further along than we yeah. are. I mean, we would have like massively changed the world by now. Hence <laughs> uh, uh, the map behind you. <laughs> so, you know, modest urban megachurch, you know, with probably uh, um, at least half a dozen uh, I don't other know that churches. we wanted to be a megachurch, but a we mega did church. want to be a large... Uh, we wanted to be large enough to be able to start other churches and to be able to have an impact beyond, you know, our little corner, our, our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so, so really what it was, was we wanted to start a church in Edgewood and then help start another church, not controlling it in a way, but like helping bless help somebody and start, start another church, church in, uh, in other neighborhoods in Atlanta. And, uh, um, we just, Thought we would be a self-sustaining, reproducing church uh, (laughs) in seven years. And we we thought that we had a long view of things. We really did. Uh, And we had a longer view of things than some of our supporters did, which was some of uh, a rub that we had early on. You know, people had a 1950s, 1970s kind of idea of uh, what church starting looks like. That's just not the reality anymore. And we had a longer view of things than they did, but it still wasn't... um, it still wasn't uh, the the right long view. We long still view. we underestimated the just there's, there's just this enormous leap that you are asking people to take if you are going into a community that is predominantly post Christian. They are people who are either apathetic or have a lot of animosity towards God, and that means the church too. And so to to out of that population create a community of faith that is committed to God and to each other and, um, you know, shows up more than (laughs) once every six weeks and just all of that stuff is, uh, we've just underestimated what a huge leap that would be for people. Can I, can I make a a slight theological, um, suggestion? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You have helped start other churches. I mean, it might not be in Atlanta, but it's certainly in, Clayton. It's certainly in uh, the number of churches CBFs help start because we share your story. We share your model. We ask people to study you. Um, mm-hmm. So nine years removed, you've had your hand in 
a multitude of sites. Now, I'm sorry that your sermon's not getting projected through those sites, <laughs> but y'all, y'all have made, yeah. y'all made an impact. You, you've started yeah. other churches. It might not be in the way that uh, you necessarily thought, but I would say certainly it's in a very kingdom-centered way. Yeah, which is, which, thank you. That's, uh, never yeah. thought of that. I <laughs> uh, feel like you did, my hay fever just um, kind of flared up there for a minute. <laughs> don't know what that's about, but uh, uh, that's what we were wanting really anyway. It was not, not the, the satellite campus projecting our uh, subpar sermons on everybody else, but to, to bless other people and to help <laughs> them follow God and in, in, in their own uh, and in, in, incarnate the gospel in their own community, you know? Well, I don't know. I think Atlanta does need another one of those churches. There's not enough of them, right? Yeah, there's certainly not. No, the, uh, <laughs> oh, of the mega church. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's, there's plenty of those. One, two, three, 20 billion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want you to think of this too. I mean, it's, um, I, I would say too, just, just listening to your story and, and I guess experiencing this myself is, or myself, I, I just refer to myself in the plural as this, I'm the Holy Trinity, or I do have multiple personalities. Um, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you talked about what success, in a sense, looks like. And for y'all, you, you have shifted that paradigm of success because it, it might not result in, you know, a four or 500 member congregation, but certainly the organic growth that's taken place by investing in people's lives. I mean, the reality of church start numbers is this. Most church starts that claim success by numbers are not honest with themselves because they're not talking about two things, the number of people coming from other congregations. So that's transition growth, not kingdom growth. And the other aspect they're not talking about is the number of people coming um, through the front door and out the back door because they're not feeling a sense of connection. So, you know, I would say from an outsider looking in, um, you know, we, we all start with these ideas um, and hopes and dreams, but I would say, you know, I would applaud you. Um, and I'm not asking for a check in the mail. I'm serious. Y'all, y'all have been successful. It, you know, and I know it's, I don't mean that to, to dilute the difficulty of work, um, but maybe to encourage your soul to say, Hey, look, you're doing it. It's good work. Yeah. But, but I would certainly say as all of us, there's things we change along the way. Uh, what, what's changed for you? What, what aspects of this journey would you say, mm, we might've, we might've done that one a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I think Nathan mentioned this earlier, but just taking a, being more patient with ourselves, taking a longer view of, like Nathan said, we had, we thought we had a long view. Um, but we're seeing so much now how important the small things are and being consistent in the small and doing choosing choosing the things that you're going to do carefully and then being consistent with those things over a long period of time just we have seen such a such a much better um i don't know what's the word um so many returns on that um now that we've been here as long as we have and i think if we had just taking a deep breath and understood at the beginning that we're just setting a foundation and it's going to be a long time before we reap a whole lot of uh, results from that, but it's okay that trusting God, that God is, God is working in those small things to do, to do big things one day. Yeah. We, um, uh, 
we, we get a kick out of this. Sometimes we, we get the opportunity to, to walk alongside um, other church starters um, where, you know, they'll do a, they'll do an event or something that's like amazing and beautiful in their community. And they'll, they'll expect like life change or people even to come to their church out of that. And nobody comes and they're like, we did this thing and it was awesome. And nobody showed up and I see no tangible difference because of that no response. And that's exactly the way that we felt like, Hey, we did this awesome thing and we got nothing from it. And it was discouraging, but it was discouraging because of our expectations and getting, uh, having a longer view of things. We see that those things, they really do matter, but they matter over, over the long run. You're establishing reputation for God and God's church and, and those sort of things. And you're, you're, you're making those, those points of connection with people. And, um, uh, and, and that, that affects people's lives, um, uh, over, over the long run. Um, we've, so we would, we would be more patient with ourselves, have a longer view of things. Um, we're very, we're very like driven goal oriented people. And it has just taken us a long time and we're still not there yet to learn to just, to be satisfied with faithfulness, you know, and, uh, and, and no matter what the, the, the results of the day may look like, uh, to just be satisfied with, with faithfulness. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's hard sometimes, you know, uh, cause faithfulness, um, doesn't feel successful sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, um, well, I, you know, for, for y'all, y'all, y'all have obviously approached this a little bit different than a lot of um, ministry couples. You know, typically you have one person within the the family called, and the other is there as a support. But uh, mm-hmm. you've made this a family affair. You know, you've done this together, and I'm sure that has added a additional amount of pressure and stress. And um, you know, so the more power to y'all for for the, the life you've given this, um, over nine years, it's, um, it's something else. I mean, it really is. Um, so uh, what do you think about, uh, obviously there's been difficulty. Um, if anybody has ever said ministry is not difficult, um, I, I don't even know what I would say to them. It certainly would be appropriate <laughs> podcast, but, um, yeah. what has been your biggest celebration over the, these last nine years? Um, it's hard to pick out just one. Um, I think because things have been so hard at different points that it has, it's made the winds really good and really beautiful. Um, just kind of building an Ebenezer in our life of God's, God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Um, uh, some of the things that you just assume like, Hey, you've moved to your, your ministry area has been, was so, so hard. And, um, the finances were hard and making that transition was hard. And we were, um, it meant that we were, uh, uh, we were homeless. homeless, we were yeah. homeless living, living with friends and off the hospitality of other people for, uh, like nine months, um, with a, with a two year old. And, and that was really, really hard. Uh, and, but, but now looking back, we have a, an, a, an amazing house at an amazing, like at an amazing location in, um, uh, in our neighborhood. And, and we just have a long litany of miracles that led up to that. And, and a lot of, there was a lot of like dark night of the soul stuff of like walking, uh, you know, I, I call them like screaming prayer walks, you know, just <laughs> being, um, 
you know, staying, staying with some friends and then like walking through their neighborhood and just yelling at God and say, I feel like I followed you off of a cliff, you know? Um, you know, and it gets to all these like man, for me, it gets to all these like man provider stuff too in that time. And, uh, um, and, but, but looking back now, we, we have, uh, we have a, a deeper sense of God's faithfulness. Um, and a similar thing happened with our, with our church building that, um, we, uh, we were setting up in a middle school, uh, for nine months, 10 months, something like that. Um, and, and you know how hard that is. It's like, um, what, the way I explain this to people is like, um, when you're moving, you, it's, you, you try to get your friends to come and help you move. And, and that's a really difficult thing sometimes. Like you just don't have enough friends or you kind of figure out who your friends are at that moment. <laughs> and, and we needed to have eight friends that would show up at eight o'clock on Sunday morning, um, every Sunday for nine months, you know? And so we were burning through people that would return our phone calls. <laughs> it was so hard. And then we would do setup for an hour and a half to have church for an hour and then to tear things back down. Uh, for 45 minutes and load them into a truck and it was just exhausting to us and we would have to do pre-setup on Saturdays and uh, during you know and then uh, then again during the week to try to smooth things out for the people that would show up and it was putting our energy into things that were you know we wanted to put our energy into the neighborhood not and, setting and, up a church yeah and the people and uh, I think a lot of church starters have experienced that um some of us still are. <laughs> if any uh, any members of Mosaic Church of Clayton are listening to this, uh, this is not a good example. We still need to set up on Sunday morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it matters. It, it matters. It matters. It matters. And 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 we we're we're both kind of perfectionists, and so like we we uh, we wanted everything to be awesome, regardless of whether it's set up out of a truck, and it needs to be. Um, and, and we would, we would change some things about the way that we did that stuff just to, to help minimize things and lower, like, uh, uh, be easier on ourselves and other people, I guess. But, um, about nine or 10 months into that, we got a, a call from the Atlanta Metro Baptist Association. Uh, and they said, Hey, Nathan, uh, we've got this property in Edgewood and we just wanted to know, if, um, if you'd like to have it. Um, and, uh, uh, we said, uh, uh, again, I guess so. Where is it? Can we go see it? I mean, it just sounds so good to be true. You would think like you would scream. Yes, absolutely. But, um, uh, but we, you know, um, we went and checked it out and it was a church that was basically abandoned in the sixties because of, uh, um, racial white flight, you know? And, um, it was a mess and it, it, it almost needed to be bulldozed. Uh, it was about to be demolished. And, um, we spent about four years, uh, a lot of Saturdays and work groups and things renovating the place. And, and, and now it's just, this just beautiful, um, in a very simplistic sort of way, concrete block walls and concrete floors, but a, a beautiful and warm place, uh, that God has given us that is in our ministry environment where, where a, um, a racially mixed group of people, economically mixed group of people come and they worship God together. Um, and, and so we, we even feel the hand of God providing for us all the way back from, from the sixties where this church was given, uh, this uh, property was abandoned because of racism, you know, and, and now, uh, it has a healing story and, and that's been such an amazing gift. Um, and, 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 and people return our phone calls now. So that's, that's <laughs> um, I would add for, as far as our 
things that we celebrate. Um, the one of the things that we've in the last couple of years we've started to hear that's just been really neat is um, hearing neighbors, people who don't go to our church but just know us or know of our church, that kind of thing. But they, when they talk about our church as a source of hope in the neighborhood. Um, that's really cool. Like that, that tells us that, you know, like what we were saying that those small things over a long period of time are starting to pay off. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we get glimpses from time to time on Sunday morning of our people really learning to love each other. Um, and I think that's really a beautiful thing too, to start to see that kind of community happening where we are not the only ones who are caring for and, loving and thinking about so-and-so needs a phone call or where's so, you know, those kinds of things, but they're starting to think about that for each other. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to start to see. When you think about the next seven to nine years, what do you imagine they look like? Oh, uh, so with the, the experiences that we've had, it's just hard to, um, hard to answer that, that we, we hope to be faithful in those, those years, you know, uh, we, we, I know it's going to sound kind of slack of us, but like we are planning, uh, goal oriented people and we have those things, but we've learned to hold them, uh, hold them loosely, hold them with an open hand and, um, try to be faithful in, uh, in the moment and on the day and in the week, you know, um, every, at the end of every year, uh, with that, with our, our thank you for giving statements, uh, we send out this this list. So like uh, there's called like 2016 at a glance. And um, it's just the things that that um, just a kind of a it's not everything, but it's a good it's a good list of like some of the, the great things that have happened through our, our church in that last year as far as far as like uh, saying thank you, a way of saying thank you to our supporters and things. And uh, um the things that are on that list, like very few of those things that we planned and set those things out as goals, but we were, um, but, it, but it's stuff that, that God kind of orchestrated and made happen. And, um, we hope, you know, we, we hope in the years to come that we, uh, have a church where more and more people of our own people have joined us as far as being missionaries in their own lives and their own communities, uh, on their own streets. Um, and, by that, that means that they're just, they're actively loving people at their schools and, and their neighbors and, 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 and people in the workspaces next to them, um, that they get it and that they are actively loving the, the world around them. Um, but just, just simple things like that, that they, um, you know, we talk about our, our style of evangelism being um, not, a, not a pickup line, but a slow seduction, you know? Uh, it used to be like, hey, if you die tonight, kind of pick up the line. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and for people, for an environment where people are disinterested, indifferent, antagonistic towards God and church and the gospel, that we're um, that we are trying to be uh, slowly seduce them with our uh, our love and our prayers um, and uh, uh, our presence, you know. Um, and so that they can they can sense and see how much God loves them, and then maybe they'll love God back, you know. And so we hope that those those seeds that we're sowing will will bear fruit um, over the years. Um, 
and what that looks like and who and where we will see that we don't we don't know uh and and, and in what people we don't know um but um, just want to look back and um the the next seven to nine years and and in our lives i guess and and hopefully feel good about um being good and faithful servants you know maybe it's time to change the logo and the tagline for the church edgewood community church the church that seduces you yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep that could be that, the, the undercover tagline you know and uh we mentioned that kind of stuff in, in sermons and things sometimes. So it's, we don't want to have like a hidden agenda, you know, that <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're trying to, I get, this is uh Rick Warren's words of moving people from come and see to go and die, you know? Um, and uh, uh, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. You know, that's our, our not so hidden agenda, you know? Well, we are certainly thankful for you, for your story, for your hard work and look forward to continuing to grow and learn from you in the next seven to nine years and beyond. Well, before we let you go, we need to spotlight one more of our sponsors today, CBF Dawnings. The meaning and value of Dawnings is different for individuals and communities. For churches, Dawnings is a biblical framework for local congregational life informed by the practices of Jesus. Practically, it offers a basic infrastructure for a congregation's life together. For individuals, Dawnings is a rhythm of daily and seasonal living that helps individuals orient their personal lives to God's dream for the world and God's mission in it. For CBF, Dawnings is a new way of relating to its partners, individuals, churches, and organizations. Dawnings encourages and enables shared vision and collaboration among these partners while informing CBS initiatives for resourcing congregations. For everyone involved, Dawnings is a shared way of life that anticipates our future while honoring both our recent and ancient past. As a way of proceeding clearly, it helps to distinguish between Dawnings the idea, or simply Dawnings, and Dawnings the process. Visit cbfdawnings.org for more information or to submit an application for a retreat. As we go, we want to give a special thank you to the Center for Congregational Health and CBF Dawnings for sponsoring today's episode. Visit cbfchurchstarts.net for more information about CBF Church Start Initiative, along with blogs from our church starters from across the fellowship and around the United States. 